if I had to do it again, what I would say is, you know, communicate. So just like anything, I mean, it goes to, you know, the success of, of any relationship, um, especially during really challenging times, you know, like we're, we're going through right now financially, right? So we typically communicate with our investors once a month. As an operator, I know other investors are romanticizing multifamily investing, and I'm looking to learn from other investors' mistakes. I know you are too, and you found the right place. Welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. I'm your host, Jerome, and I got the great pleasure of having Chris Larson with me today. Chris, how are things in Nashville? Things are awesome, Jerome. Thank you so much for having me on today. I'm excited to be here. And I'm excited to have you here. Before we jump into it, do me a favor and let the listeners know how they can get in touch with you. Yeah, so the easiest way, Jerome, is through our website, nextlevelincome.com. And if you're listening today, you can go to the website, uh, click on the book link, nextlevelincome.com slash book, and get a free copy of our book that was just released in March on Amazon. Yeah, I, I started reading through that thing the other day, and um, I'm enjoying it. I'm working on two books at the same time, so it's going to take me a little bit of time to get through it. I'm a slow reader, but we're working through it, man. And you've got a podcast, right? Absolutely. So we make it easy. Next Level Income is the name of the book, name of the website, and Next Level Income Show is where we talk about how to make keep and grow your money, Jerome. So we try to have something for everybody, whether you're in college trying to figure out you know, what to do and, and how to make the most out of your career and get to the next level of your income earning, or whether you're trying to keep more of your money or whether you, know, like you help some of your investors do, which is grow your money into the future and for your family and for your, for your legacy. Now that we've got all the unimportant stuff out the way, let's dive in. <laughs> man. Let's talk a little bit about your background and how you got to the place where you're leading next level. Yeah. So I love, you know, one of the things uh, we connected on was our engineering background, Jerome. So uh, I grew up uh, in Maryland. I race, started racing bikes when I was 14 years old, which kind of drove my early years and my motivations for a lot of different things. I uh, went to Virginia Tech and got an engineering degree in biomechanical engineering. But I knew a couple of weeks in that I didn't really want to be an engineer. It was easy. I, really, I just wanted to be a professional cyclist at the time. So I was racing my bike and I was taking a full, full course load. But really, I was just trying to get through college so I could become a professional cyclist. Between my freshman and sophomore years, my best friend passed away. And it really taught me, well, it really um, caused me to take a step back and reevaluate you know, my life and what I was doing. And frankly, it took me about a year to do that. I put my head down for about a year and was processing my friend's death. I was really using the bike as therapy. So I was, I was just riding a ton. I wasn't doing great in class. Frankly, I was trying to avoid class if I could and trying to, you know, figure out like what, what, what I really wanted to do. About a year after that, I ended up quitting racing my bike. I decided that with everything that was going on in the professional cycling world at the time with doping and my friends that were coming back from Europe and telling me stories, I like to say now that I was lucky enough not to have to make that decision because I wasn't, I wasn't a, a great cyclist. I was good. I could, you know, I was like at maybe an entry level pro level when it came to my physiology. And when I heard about what was going on, I thought like, I'd be, you have to be crazy to dope to be like a, a crappy professional cyclist. <laughs> 
So uh, it, that, that made it easier for me. But then where that left me was as an engineering student studying something that I didn't think I wanted to do as a career and leaving behind really the, the life that I had lived for you know, five, six years up to that point, my entire, what I would call my adult life. But what I had learned during that period, Jerome, was that I wanted freedom. I wanted freedom to do what I wanted to do. And as a professional cyclist, you just don't make very much money. So I always had an entrepreneurial side and I had a loft business in college. I was selling, I mean, since like middle school, I sold uh, wrapping paper door to door. I sold knives uh, my freshman year of college. I, I was always working to get sponsors for cycling teams. And, you know, if you can, if you can convince somebody to donate several thousand dollars for a cycling team, an amateur cycling team, I think you could probably sell just about anything because it's a pretty low benefit endeavor. And a lot of these uh, individuals and businesses that were given money, were just doing it out of the good of their heart. So I learned a lot of sales and networking and relationship building along the way. And I also learned about the stock market through the same family friend and investing through the same family friend that introduced me to cycling. His name's Clint Provenza. And he gave me, I'll never forget, a money magazine. And in that money magazine, it talked about this new thing called the Roth IRA. And it had a picture of investing and compounding if you invested over a period of time. So I started learning about the stock market. I ultimately was day trading. I was making $5,000 a month as a junior in college. Although some months I wasn't making money and I started to lose money. And that caused me to step back one morning at 3 a.m. I was laying in bed, hadn't slept. I thought, man, what if, you know, what if instead of losing five or $10,000, I lost 10 or 100 times that amount? And what if I was twice the age? What if I was 40 years old and I'm laying in bed at 3 a.m. and I have a family? Like, is that really how I wanted my life to be? So I pivoted and started to learn about other investing options and I came upon real estate. I read 250 books. I went to as many seminars as I could. I read voraciously online. It was awesome because that's when the internet was coming out and you could read all this stuff. And I ultimately bought my first property at the age of 21. I built a portfolio of single family investments over the next five years. Fortunately, before the market crashed, everything was cash flow positive. But then over the past, let's see here, now it's 20 years since I bought that property. I've evolved and since sold all those properties, we now focus mostly on multifamily, commercial investment, commercial real estate investments. We also do some other things, but uh, multifamily is really where we focus at next level income and educating uh, investors that are interested in that space as well. So what's really cool, and I want the listeners to miss this, is you applied your discipline from cycling to that new thing when you walked away from it. And I think the other thing that's really important is you, you dealt with the pain of loss positively. You, you didn't go into the spiral of self-destruction that a lot of people do when they're trying to cope and deal with grief. And so, you know, kudos to you for picking those two things up because I'm, I'm pretty Thank sensitive you. to those things as well. So, you know, it sounds like you've made a ton of money. You've been able to sell for a long time. Has everything went perfect as a multifamily <laughs> investor? Uh, that's a great, that's a great question. And, um, I really, I, I would be lying if I said, yes, no, not everything's gone perfectly. And I, I'm for, I feel grateful that not everything's gone perfectly because, you know, as you, as you know, and most people know, we learn more from our mistakes. I was going through, uh, some online testing this morning for a new, a new area that we're working on at next level income. And I took a test and I was, I was pissed because 
I got a couple of questions wrong and I was looking at it and then I thought, well, this isn't, this isn't real life. You know, I'm, I'm getting to learn. I was looking back through that. So just, you know, just this morning, it reminded me that you really learn before you learn more from making mistakes. And, you know, hopefully those mistakes aren't so cons- consequential that you can't, you know, get back to business. But I've absolutely learned a lot of, a lot of lessons over the years, Jerome. Um, and that's one of the reasons I wrote the book. People say, well, why'd you write the book? Why now? And the reason we brought it to print, the reason we published it, uh, it's a great time, I think, with the COVID-19 crisis, but it's to allow people to see the mistakes in my journey and learn from them. And one of the greatest pleasures I have is talking to somebody that's in their 20s saying, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get started down this path of investing and do what you're doing because I didn't, I didn't start in the multifamily space until I was 35. So my dream is that I can help as many people learn from my journey learn from my mistakes so they don't make them themselves. Got it. And so oftentimes we talk about getting into multifamily and partnering with people being like a marriage. And I understand Absolutely. you've been through a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> you know, again, uh, you know, partnerships don't always work out. And, you know, even, even with the loss I've experienced in my life, my best friend, my father, my mother, over the years, I'm always grateful for the experiences I've had. So yeah, I've had, I've had failed partnerships in the past, uh, but I've always learned from those as well. Wow. And so you started out your business with a partner and I guess you guys parted ways at some juncture and you started building next level. Let's talk about uh, maybe, you know, the partnership and then the three a risk to, you know, a partnership failing or a deal failing, if you don't mind. Yeah. Uh, we were talking before the show today. I really look at an investment as having three risks when it comes to say, a, let's talk about multifamily specifically. I think there's really three things an investor needs to look at. They need to look at one, the market, you know, what market are you investing in? We always tell investors, you can't move the apartment building once you bought it. You know, if, if you saw that Simpsons episode where they pick up Springfield and they move it to another state, like that just doesn't happen in real life, right? You can't pick up your apartment building. So make sure you're comfortable with the market. Make sure you're comfortable with the operator. And that's what I think we can talk about here. You know, make sure that you understand the operator, his, his or her experience, um, or hopefully the team that you're working with. And then you can look at the deal, then look at the investment returns, look at the specific risks within that deal. But if you're not comfortable with the market and the operator, I think the deal is almost irrelevant at that point. I would never, I would always ask those two questions before I dive into the deal. So yeah, when you're talking about an operator, uh, personally, I started uh, in 2015 in my, my former partnership and it was just, it was just myself and my uh, former partner, we syndicated our first deal in 2016. And over the course of three years, we had a great run. We acquired 757 units in and around the Atlanta um, MSA, Atlanta market. And uh, we had a great partnership for a few years. And this was somebody I, I knew and uh, I, I rode bikes with and was friends with for, for over two decades. But yeah, ultimately, in the end, uh, we no longer work together. But what, what's that, what that has allowed me to do is expand the value that I provide uh, because that individual was very focused and is very focused. But I like to provide my investors with all the tools that I use and all the different things uh, that I work with. And we weren't really on the same page when it came to that, unfortunately. Got you. And so was your partner like boots on the ground in Atlanta or were you guys in the same area in 
going to different markets together? I mean, you picked Atlanta, but. Yeah, we started in, uh, like I said, in 2015 and, and Atlanta was one of our target markets. And yeah, he really developed an expertise and some relationships in, in the Atlanta space and he likes to concentrate there uh, exclusively. So yeah, he's, you know, as, as I've found over the past several years, I can do the operations side. You know, I, I like drilling down into the numbers specifically and looking at where we can um, find operational efficiencies. But what, I, what really brings me joy and energy is not only looking at the spreadsheets, but also interacting with investors and helping them on that journey, whether it's a new investor or investor like I was dealing with this morning, kind of with ongoing uh, communications with that respect. Okay. And so there's some people that just love raising money and there's other people feel like it's a necessary evil and they want to spend their time tinkering and fixing or trying to improve the business. How did you identify that, Hey, my skill set is investor relations and this other stuff's okay, but I prefer this versus going the other way around. Cause I think at least for me and my business in particular, like I feel like I got to do it all right. I don't feel right. like I got the opportunity to just pick, Hey, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. What I do know is that I focus so much on operations and neglected investor relations that there have come deals that I couldn't take down because I hadn't spent the time building the network. And you know, it's not, Hey, I got a deal. You want to come in my deal. Uh, there's a rela- whole relationship that has to be built before people are willing to partner with you. And so kind of walk me through that process of the self-discovery and then how you got good at it. Yeah, I think, you know, you really have to experience it and be open-minded to find out what your true skill set is, Jerome. That's, that's my experience. So I think it's good to have a full understanding, especially if you're an operator, if you're working in, you know, in the multifamily space, if you're syndicating deals, it's really valuable to have knowledge on everything. You should be able to walk in and understand what's going on during the due diligence process. You should be able to walk in. What's up, guys? It's your host, Jerome. I just want to let you know we launched Myers Methods in the fall of 2019 with the ambition to inspire a new breed of multifamily investor. If you are interested in getting into multifamily or scaling your current business, hop over to our website at MyersMethods.com to grab your free four-step guide on how to get the ball rolling in multifamily. Now, let's get back to the episode. Understand you know, what it takes to bring a unit you know, up to market level. I grew up with my stepfather working on houses. I've shoveled shingles. I've laid wood floors. I mean, I've, you know, I've, <laughs> I've taken out trash. You name it when it comes to working on a house, especially also my own personal properties that I managed for a lot of years. I found I just didn't enjoy doing those little things. And I know there are people that really love to go to Lowe's and save 10 bucks on a refrigerator. You know, whereas I'm like, look, just, just make that happen. I'm more of a big picture kind of guy. So I think you need to one, understand what it takes to run a successful business. And then two, after you, you know, that look at the different areas of the business. Like we were talking about, um, investor relations also with underwriting. I really like to pull up a spreadsheet and look at each cell and figure out, okay, what are the assumptions going into the, into this as an engineer, you know, and we've talked about this. If your assumptions are incorrect, your solution 
is going to be incorrect. Or maybe it's the correct solution, but it follows the assumptions you've made. So you got to make sure that you're looking at those and, and all that is going, to, is going to fit correctly. And then that helps you kind of figure out where the risks or opportunities are. So I, I really enjoy that. I also, I can spend hours on the phone talking to investors, people that, or people that may not even invest and just sharing, sharing what I do my experiences. So over the course of five years, what I found was doing all those different things, you know, walking units, looking at numbers, talking to investors, looking at other deals from other syndicators. What I found is my particular skill set and where I derive energy is, is the numbers piece and the communication side of things. So when people call me and say, Hey, I'm looking, I'm looking at getting into real estate investing. What should I do? My question back to them is, well, what do you enjoy doing? So I instruct them to do two things. Go read as much as you can, go in bigger pockets. You know, you learn about fix and flips, learn a little bit about um, commercial real estate, apartments, uh, learn about, you know, other areas. And then what is your specific skill set? You know, are, are you a doctor and understand the, the medical office side of things and you have connections in that area? Maybe that's a competitive advantage you have and you have some a network that can help in that space. And then finally, look at what brings you energy because if you have to drag yourself out of bed every day and you know just and have to do it, I think ultimately that's going to be a headwind that it's going to it's going to prevent you from achieving your ultimate success. Okay. And so when you were unraveling your partnership, was there any like financial impact or collateral damage from doing that? Did you end up going backwards to go forward? Yeah, unfortunately there was. I mean, there was definitely a short-term financial impact with that, Jerome. Uh, there was some money that was left on the table uh, from you know, deals that were in process. And that was, that was pretty painful. But the way I looked at it was, okay, what, what's the short-term cost versus the long-term cost? And I see it like being, you know, being in a bad relationship, you know, you break up with that person and it's, if let's say you've been in a relationship for two years and you realize, Hey, this isn't the right fit or, or somebody has been unfaithful in the relationship. Something's happened to materially change that. Now you have to say, okay, is this, is this really the right relationship for me? I've been in this for two years. It's, I don't really, you know, that's, that's two years of my life that I've wasted. Well, what if you got married and you were in that relationship another 22 years? That's, I would say, you know, it's, it's a lot more beneficial to look at it as a learning experience and look forward. And what I can say is that the lessons that I learned during that period and the relationships that I built are much more valuable than the cost, you know, that it, that it took me there. So I think from an investor perspective, I think there's also a lesson in there as well, Jerome. I think that, you know, if you, if you're an investor, we talked about, you know, the, the three kind of buckets of risk, if you will, you know, if you're, if you're talking to uh, an operational team and it's, it's a single person versus a team, you want a robust structure of individuals that have a long-term relationship and complement one another so that they can all attack specific areas of that deal and make the most out of it for you as an investor. And as an investor, maybe you're really good at underwriting a deal and you can look and, and see some of those things and you want to work with a really strong operational 
individual that can really get the most out of that. Um, but just make sure that it's a good fit, you know, if you're in a partnership or as an investor, if it's a good fit for your skill set as well. That makes a ton of sense. A ton of sense. The one thing that I've never been able to cover in all the episodes that we've done so far, uh, we recorded over half of a year at this point, is how you have that conversation when you're ready to unravel the partnership. I mean, did you guys have like a formal operating agreement together and all that stuff or was everything just kind of by word of mouth? Uh, yeah, I'm not going to go into, you know, deep specifics on that. Um, but we absolutely had a contract and, you know, we, um, it was a, it was an evolving and growing partnership. So, um, it was, I probably could have done some things differently from a contractual perspective, but ultimately, fortunately, the, you know, the, uh, the bulk of the compensation, everything that was, that was done, uh, was protected there. I'm not so much interested in the contract. I'm more interested. How do you have the, the conversation, hey, like, yeah, because you guys were longtime friends, right? I mean, you knew each other for a long time. So how do you yeah. say, hey, you know, we don't want, this isn't working for me. I, I want to go do right. something else. Like how, and if that didn't go well in the way that you did it, if you had to do it again, like how would you do it? What do you think the right way to do that is? I think the first thing to do is to communicate. So when, when one side of the, the team doesn't communicate, then it kind of, it kind of makes the decision for you. So in my case, unfortunately, there wasn't a conversation from the other side and it was, it ultimately came down to a very uh, acute, abrupt uh, decision uh, without any communication. So if I, if I had to do it again, what I would say is, you know, communicate. So just like anything, I mean, it goes to you know, the success of, of any relationship, um, especially during really challenging times, you know, like we're, we're going through right now financially, right? So we typically communicate with our investors once a month. Well, right now we're communicating once a week. So what I would say is that for anybody that's in a, in a partnership or relationship, uh, business dealing, if, if, you ha- if you're having trouble or if you're having questions, the first thing I would suggest you do is sit down and communicate. And then you can decide, hey, is this, is this a good fit? Are there some things that we need to change here? And ultimately, you're doing that proactively. So I think what happened in that case is that there was, you know, there was personal issues. I'm not going to d- get into that. Um, there were some personal issues going on um, with, with my partner at the time. Um, but if we were sitting down and communicating regularly, I think that you know, that would have avoided some of the issues that are eventually came to a head. And what I do with my sales teams, what I do with my um, uh, with our business next level income, with everybody that I work with, we have a weekly call. So we're checking in with each other. We're saying, Hey, Jerome, this is what I'm doing this week. This is what you're doing this week. Hey, what's going good. What's not going so good. You know, what can I work on? What can you work on? Um, Hey, this was missed last week, you know, or, Oh, Hey, I miss this. Let's, let's address that going forward versus having an issue that persists for months and then deciding that, there's a problem that's irreconcilable. I, I would say that's not the right way to do that. Yeah. And so one of the things that I've noticed recently is that a lot of people don't actually communicate how they truly feel, right? They're yeah. trying to keep the peace or it feel like they're going along to get along or whatever it is. Yeah. Then you have the volcano erupt, which is what you kind right. of laid out for us. And 
you know, I, I know you manage a pretty large sales team. Are you able to like key in on anything that would signal, hey, this person isn't actually telling me everything that's going on? Or is it, are there no indicators that we can start to pull on and tease out? Hey, like, talk to me. I want you comfortable. I want you to be able to share. That's a great question and great point. So I think the, the first key is that you need to spend time with your team. If you don't spend time with your team, there's really, it's hard to know, you know, what that person's like or what normal communication is like, you know, if you wait till the last minute, um, then, you know, you can't, you can't do everything at once. You can't build a relationship over time with respect to that. Uh, two, find out what's, what's important to your team members personally. Like what are they working for? You know, are they working to spend more time with their family? Are they working to grow their business? Are they working, you know, to build a bigger financial backstop? Um, for, for something bigger? Are they working to, to give money away? You know, what is it, what is it that's truly important to them, you know, at a, at a deep personal level? I think that's, that's really important. Um, and then you do have to trust your gut. And what I can say is, you know, I'm a very rational person. So when I've gone back and looked at things that haven't worked out, I typically haven't trusted my gut. I've rationalized things and said, oh, this is why this, this is why that. Whereas now when I have an in, intuition, I trust that intuition a lot more because I've found that it's correct most of the time. So if you, if you have good communication, if you have a good understanding of your team members, what's, what's uh, important to them personally, and you have a good understanding of the landscape of your business and what makes it successful, then hopefully you won't be blindsided. Or if you have that intuition, you can say, Hey, Jerome, is something up? Like what, what's going on? Something, something seems off and you can find out, you know, if there's something really going on um, or if it's just a, just a false, a false flag, if you will. Got it. And so now we're getting down to the last two questions and I really appreciate you kind of digging deep on, on these lessons that you've picked up. Absolutely. First of the last two is, you know, have you made a key process change? Um, to prevent like the unraveling of a partnership from happening again. I know you can't guarantee it because you're adding other people to, you know, the process or, you know, add more clicks to the kitchen. But, you know, if you want to focus on investor relations, somebody's got to focus on operations. And so how are you, you know, rigging success in the future for partnership? Yeah. So two things. One, I'm focused heavily on team operators. So I really like partnerships that have a robust team. So, you know, if you have failure in one out of three of the, the, uh, you know, partners, you know, worst case scenario, you still have two others that are going to be standing. And then the other piece is just like I was saying, communication. So I've increased my communication. We do weekly team calls across the board in all my businesses. And even my, my wife and I, we have a weekly sit down on Sunday and we do a check-in, we go through our schedules, we say, okay, who's doing what with the kids? You know, what are you doing this week? What am I doing this week? What are we doing together this week? You know, when's our date night this week? Are we gonna have lunch together? Uh, you know, what's, you know, what are you feeling? Is, is something going wrong? And so I've applied that across the board, in my personal relationships, in my business relationships. And I think that's, that's something that I'm hopeful is gonna alleviate uh, any of these issues going forward. Yeah, because communication and misunderstanding seems to be the root of all of these things falling apart. 
Um, so that that's wonderful. I appreciate that. I, I think I'm gonna make some adjustments and see if I <laughs> uh, have some more success in my relationships, especially the key relationships. And so the final question, Chris, is you know what words of wisdom do you have for our listeners? The words of wisdom I have are if if you have a dream, if you have an aspiration, do not shy away from it. Think big and then find somebody that has achieved what you want to achieve and reach out to them and try to learn from them. So whether that's finding a mentor that you can work with one-on-one and help you grow what you're doing or you know, pick up my book and learn from somebody else's mistakes, again, dream big, find somebody that has emulated the success that you want to have and then reach out to that person, learn from them. And I can, I can assure you that most people that have been successful would love to hear from somebody that wants to achieve success and help them out along the way. I certainly do. And you can reach out to us at nextlevelincome.com. I'd be happy to have a conversation with you too. Chris, this was a great episode, man. I really appreciate it. One of the best ones we've done so far on partnerships and relationships. Uh, that theme of communication is a common thread, regardless of what people are trying to accomplish. And I really yeah. appreciate you hammering that nail so that we get it and giving us some tactics to actually improve the relationships that we're in. So again, I appreciate you being so generous with your time and your wisdom, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Jerome. It's been a pleasure. You made it to this juncture, so you really love what we shared on this episode of Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Do us a favor, give us a five-star rating, give us a review, and share this with somebody who's interested in multifamily investing. Until the next time, the pack is with you.